0: So today, we have the pleasure Mm -hmm. of meeting with Gabby Rosenwald. She is in the Doctor of Audiology program at University of Kansas Medical Center. Uh, Hi, Gabby. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are
0: you? Doing well. Thank you for coming on today uh, and coming in to talk about kind of why audiology and the ins and outs of a doctoral student. Um, So let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're currently doing. You're currently a newborn hearing screener uh, tech at Truman. Is that correct? Um, So, when somebody has a baby, they get their ears, the baby's ears get checked, and what all goes into that process?
1: So, um, as a newborn hearing screener, uh, you can technically start screening someone's hearing about um, eight hours after they're born. So, I handle, like, the really tiny babies, the fresh babies, I like to call them. Um, And so, basically, what we do is we use what's called an ABR to record the responses of a baby responding to sound. Obviously a baby can't tell you, yes, I heard that. So we put sensors on their head and it basically locates a spot on their brainstem and then it shows us whether or not they can hear that sound. And we just retest it until they either pass the test or they need to retest and then we'll schedule them to get another screening done in two weeks or so.
0: Okay. So at Truman, how many how many babies are you uh, or fresh babies are you looking at throughout a day or a week?
1: Um, so I work three times a week at Truman centers usually. And I would like every baby is, um, or all the days there's different amounts of babies. So when I come, I would say there's usually like an average of like four to six babies for me, at least other people could say otherwise. Um, and right now we're getting a baby boom. So there's been a lot of babies in the hospital. So I would say most days I come in, there's like seven to nine babies or so. That's
0: cool. Um, So you're in the program for Doctor of Audiology at KU Med. Um, How did you get involved in in audiology to begin with? Uh, That's a great
1: question. Um, A lot of people go into either speech-language pathology or audiology because they know someone within the hard-of-hearing community or they were just always interested in it. I kind of got into it in more of a haphazard way. It was more of like an accident. Um, When I came straight out of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. But I was really interested in brains. So I decided to major in psychology. And for one of those, um, for one of the general requirements, I took a linguistics course where they talked about psychoacoustics and basically how your brain processes how someone's talking. And that really interested uh, interested me. So I went and took a physics of sound class at KU and they were talking about uh, like wavelengths and how wave hits your your ear and then it's transduced through the system and how your brain processes it at, at like a really small cell level. And uh, the teacher was like, if you enjoyed this material over the past month, you should probably go into audiology. And I was like, wow. All right. That was a sign right there. So I decided right then and there to start doing audiology and I have been an audiology person ever since.
0: That's awesome. So that was at at the University of Kansas in Lawrence?
1: Yes, it was.
0: Okay. And now you're continuing that education through KU Med?
1: Exactly. I apparently love KU. So
0: (laughs) I'm right there with you. Um, So while you were at KU, you were a graduate Uh, assistant in teaching in the audiology lab um, for Hmm. undergraduates. What does that process look like as far as becoming a grad assistant and what you did on a daily basis in that role?
1: So I am still the the graduate teaching assistant for that undergrad course. Um, What that looks like is, so I'm the GTA for the intro to audiology class for the undergraduates who are kind of Either going into speech-language pathology and have to take the course, or might be interested in audiology. So I set up all the labs, and I every um, every Friday I do the labs with the students. I answer questions that they might have about um, audiology or the topics that are covered within the class. Um, and then I just, you know, I I'm there as a support system for my professor that I work with.
0: Right. Cool. Um, and then internships that you did, I think you had two different internships during your program. Um, what, what were those and how did you become interested in those specific internships?
1: Yeah, so the first internship I did um, was actually not affiliated with KU. I actually sought it out myself because I was kind of getting into audiology and I wasn't quite sure, you know, what it entailed and I didn't want to get too far into my career path before realizing, oh wait, this might not be for me. So I emailed a few different audiologists in Lawrence and I was just like, hey, I would love to just watch you do what you do. Um, And then one of them emailed me back and said, please join us as an intern. So I interned there and I basically, I worked as like a receptionist slash someone to clean people's hearing aids and check them, see if there's something that we had to repair ourselves in house or send out. Um, And then the second internship I did, I was a clinical practicum student at the University of Kansas. And there I just basically um, followed my um, preceptor around and I helped her clean hearing aids, um, helped fix those. And I also just accompanied her to different evaluations.
0: Okay, cool. Um, So as a uh, doctoral student, you're working as a Uh, newborn hearing screener and you're working as a grad assistant how do you have time for your actual schooling
1: um good question i'm still kind of figuring it out (laughs) grad school is definitely a time where you learn a lot about time management i've always thought i've been pretty good at time management but i'm still still learning to this day um basically school always comes first no matter what you're doing school is going to be the number one so i'm not going to pick up more shifts as a newborn hearing screener unless I know that I can get everything done with my schoolwork. And with my graduate teaching assistant, um, I get all of the things I know that the students need to progress in their week and in their semester. But at the end of the day, um, I value myself and my education a lot. I think KU gives me a lot of opportunities and it would be a little ridiculous of me not to take advantage of all of those. So I definitely put school first.
0: Okay. Um, So, as an audiologist uh, working in the newborn, you know, a a typical week of a student, um, grad intern, and a, uh, you know, somebody that's working three days a week, what does that kind of breakout look like as a uh, doctoral student?
1: So, week by week, uh, it's, it's very busy, and it's definitely a little different than maybe someone a year older than me, just because I have had my entire grad program thus far with COVID. So um, I've had a lot of my classes be online, but thankfully we are moving more towards being in person. So I would say starting like three weeks ago up until now, I I would say I go into the clinic about three days a week uh, to do assignments, to make up any assignments that I didn't finish while I was there, and for classwork. Um, and then about two days a week, I have hardcore classes where I just show up, I um, I listen, I take notes, you know, I do all of those things. And then um, I would say after I do clinics, I usually use that time to do all of my homework. So I spend three hardcore days doing homework and then I'll like finish up the work in between instead. Thursdays, Fridays are complete work days for me, and then I work every Saturday and Sunday morning. And then, for my me time, um, I usually spend that on my Mondays and my Saturday nights. So,
0: okay. yeah, that's awesome. So you're looking at graduating in, in 2024 with your doctoral uh, audiology. As of now, what type of audiologist do you are you looking at wanting to be or what different path options are available for that.
1: It's a great question. Okay. Um so as of now, I don't have too much experience dipping my toes in every single category, but the reason why I really thought audiology spoke to me was because I could apply not only the science of how the system itself works in your body, but I could also apply that into a clinical practice to be able to help someone else and that really speaks to me, I really want to be able to help someone with their what they see as a problem or help work through a situation and counsel them and communicate different ways that they can uh, change or improve or just have a different, like lifestyle that they'd like for themselves. So I, I would really like to be a clinical audiologist and really work with the patients and um, see them every day Hear about their what they um, really want to resolve, and what they're having difficulties with. And I, I would love to fit hearing aids. I would love to do maybe some work with vestibular disorders or balance disorders. I have a sister with Meniere's, so I would love to be able to help her in a way that no other doctor can.
0: Right. So in our in our emails uh, prior to our meeting, we kind of talked about my uh, adventures with audiology. Um, yes and so for those of us that don't know i've ruptured my eardrum four times the same eardrum um, mm. and had tubes when i was little uh, so i remember going into uh, the audiologist and being in the the quiet room um, and putting the different nodes on your on your ears and listening to mm. the sounds um, and then as well as our son had we had him have tubes um, and so we went in there and did the the beeps and the testing and the Light boxes that jump up when they click. Yeah. The- <laughs> um, so, with that type of audiologist, what are they specifically looking for uh, when they're doing that kind of testing, and how does that uh, re- relate to you know you had said the the people with balance disorders?
1: Um, so, whenever we do audiology uh, or evaluations. Um, pediatric audiology is a little bit different uh, than adult audiometry. So when we do pediatric tests, so your son coming in, and he has that like play going on, and the lights are flashing everywhere, um, we really want to rule out any other um, issue at hand. So if he comes in complaining of like an earache, and you think he has an ear infection, he had tubes put in, we just want to, in that position, confirm that he did have an ear infection and confirm that there's nothing else that could possibly going to, to be going wrong. In that situation, we also want to be able to rule out who we might need to refer out to. Audiologists work a lot with speech-language pathologists, so um, if we notice that he's having some grammar issues, we might say, okay, we should probably refer to a speech-language pathologist to work on his language development. So those are some things that we're looking for. Whereas adults, if you came in as an adult and you had an ear infection, we again would be confirming, um, the, confirming the presence of the ear infection and making sure it's not anything else. Um, a lot of audiology is putting puzzle pieces together and saying, if not this, then what? So that's a lot of what we do. And so for adults, that's probably what we focus on as well as regaining or meeting the standard that they had before so kids are usually going to complain of like earaches or just not being able to hear their teachers whereas an adult might say i can't hear as well as i could so we just try to see where they are and see how close we can get them to that point again
0: okay yeah so with then dealing with that after you do the testing what other teams of uh team members are there that deal with audiologists like we talked about Uh, The surgeon that repaired my eardrum, you know, Mm -hmm. you would deal with him. And who else do you guys communicate with on a daily or weekly basis?
1: So audiologists can work with literally any kind of professional. We work with educators um, in schools. A lot of schools have an audiologist on hand. Um, We can work with speech language pathologists. We work with ENTs, surgeons. Um, We can work with psychologists about counseling matters, and we can also work in uh, the education field ourselves as professors, and we can also work a lot with researchers to be on the team and collaborate with how research is done and what we're really looking for in research.
0: Cool. So in the hospital, you know, you would deal with um, the doctors and nurses and tell them, you know, if the babies can hear or if they can't hear, that kind of stuff. When you're doing your rotations, um, who else, I mean, in in the clinical setting, I guess, uh, do you guys deal with?
1: In the clinical setting, um, at the hospital at least, we're dealing with, um, we'll we'll be around the family themselves, and we will a lot of times communicate with nurses and the um, mom's physician to Mm. make sure like we're not doing a test at the wrong time. If a baby's in the NICU, we have a certain criteria that we we can't test a baby if they're on antibiotics or something. So we we just communicate a lot with the nurses and the staff members t- taking care of those babies to make sure that um, our test won't be interpreted incorrectly.
0: Right, Cool. Um, so what's something you wish you knew maybe in high school or early on in college that would help you with your doctoral program now?
1: Huh. Let's see. Thinking back to high school me, um, I think I put a lot of stress on myself not knowing what to do right out of high school. I think um, a lot of high school, uh, a lot of people in in my experience told me that it was really important to do a lot of extracurriculars and make sure you're getting good grades so you can get into a good program to to like start your education on what you want. I would say um I wish I had known to be okay with just knowing that things will happen that I won't necessarily be able to control. Um I found my career path completely by accident and right. I think I think I just had to be open to that experience whereas before I would probably have been a little bit too anxious to to see that opportunity present itself. Um I would definitely have participated in more extracurricular activities probably um just so I could have dipped my toes into a lot of different things I I was like part of two or three clubs in high school but I probably would have tried out more things in high school
0: that's good good to know um and you guys at in your high school uh this school district you had access to a um the caps building at Blue Valley um was that that uh kind of Open and available, or how how were you guys taught about the different programs that they had to offer?
1: Yeah. Um, I was actually part of the CAPS program. I was in the health professions section okay. of CAPS because I, I knew that I would probably like to um be in the health profession, but I wasn't sure what. And CAPS was such a great opportunity. We learned a lot about that in like our homeroom classes. Um, they talked about it a lot in those and um a lot of teachers would just mention it in like uh, for whoever was your mentor or your faculty mentor, um, they would discuss that a lot with us and just come into class and talk about CAPS as an experience. And CAPS was like pretty new when it's like when I was in high school, they had just built it. So every everyone really knew about it. Um, it's a huge building and you can't miss it. So I, I kind of had that luck on my side as well
0: let's talk a little bit about your experience at caps then um in that health science program Uh, Mm -hmm. what were some of the the courses if you were a completer or you know how many classes years did you did you study over there
1: yeah so i did it for two semesters um and i i did it my senior year of high school and what i did was it was a very general health professions class. There's a lot of caps that are really, really specific onto a different uh, passion, I would say, but the health professions is kind of like a very general overview of what's available. So in that class, I learned about a lot of different health careers, what that would encompass on a day-to-day basis, like what kind of education you need in order to get there. Um, And then at the end of the semester, we had a project. So a lot of the time, half of the class would be split into Learning about other professions, and then half the class would be working on your capstone. And for my capstone, I again am very big on psychology um, and I'm big on advocacy and making sure people are aware and they have accessible information to them. So I created my capstone project over um, the waiting room experience. And I think, I think everyone at one point in their lives have been in the waiting room of. Some clinic or some hospital and really not known what's going on or like how to interpret what the doctor is saying. So I, with a group of a couple other people, made uh, pamphlets about like what you can expect in the waiting room, how long approximately does it take to wait for specific different issues, and like if your doctor says this, how can we interpret it in different ways just to give them like something more than it'll be another hour. So
0: yeah, and I think that actually kind of goes in, in hand with COVID right now because a lot of people are apprehensive about going back to the doctor or being mm-hmm. safe or, you know, maybe if they have a, a something they're worried about, they, they haven't it, in the last year gone in as they maybe as they could have. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, what's a product that as a grad student uh, mm-hmm. or future doctor of audiology, what's a product that you... Really like uh, and use on a daily basis.
1: Okay, so I actually had no idea you were going to ask this question, but I do have the product like right next to me. That's awesome. Um, so, it, as grad students, we were given this product and it's called OtoSim. And it basically is a program that we have on our computers and it's a fake ear. So, we just s- slip it on to our desks and then we can do otoscopy or looking into the ear um, and we can. Uh, Like read about what that otoscopy means and what we find to be interesting about that, or what could be um, abnormal about the otoscopy. And so I really enjoyed using that. I use that probably more than I'm allowed to, but it's really it's really cool. Um, And especially since I haven't been able to be with actual patients yet, I, I think I actually get more experience with different forms of otoscopy on a daily basis because of that. So. Putting in a plug here for sim
0: <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Um, so, for student development, student groups, uh, being a part of a doctoral program, what are some things a student uh, in a, uh, you know, your grad assistant, you're doing your internships, you have a, a job, what are some other things students can look at for student development to get some more experience, uh, you know, in their field or becoming? Mm-hmm. Intern- A doctoral program.
1: Um, I would say take advantage of the school clubs that you have. Take advantage of all of the um, teachers, preceptors, professors that really are associated with that club. Um, Networking starts at pretty much every level of your life, and if you make connections now, they will last you a really long time. So, look into different clubs. If if you're not even sure if you want to go pre med or Something like audiology, or if you want to be a dentist when you grow up, find a club. They exist in your community. They exist at your schools, so definitely seek those out. Um, and also talk to your friends. Like friends talk about what you want to do and and like what you're passionate about. but like talk to your friends about what they're interested in and how they're gonna get there. And be inspired by your friends and how they're gonna accomplish what they want to as well. Um, I'm big on, Pumping one another up, and I definitely wouldn't be where I am without my friends and their inspiration. So,
0: right. Um, what's something that you are most proud of so far in your uh, educational program that you've accomplished? Ooh.
1: I haven't been here too long, so I I don't have very many options. But I I am proud to be. I was very proud to be accepted into the KE program. This past year, it was rated in the top 10 audiology schools in the country. And I, I do not take that lightly. I am very proud to have been accepted and to be in the program as it is. I think that in itself is an accomplishment. Wherever you get accepted at no matter what phase of your education you're in, I think it's a really big deal to get accepted. So I am very proud of that. Um, And I'm very proud to be a GTA. I was very honored when they offered me the position and I, it makes me feel really great every day to be able to help someone who, I mean, I was in the exact same position before, and I feel like I definitely have that advantage to be able to help them and answer their questions in a way that maybe other people wouldn't have been able to.
0: Right. Absolutely. What's a book that you would recommend somebody that's interested in audiology read or look at or maybe an article about audiology?
1: Um, so. I don't read for fun a lot of the time, I, I will say, um, I read a lot of research articles there. I think um, if you want to maybe learn more about the audiology field or what it's like to be hard of hearing. Um, I did watch a, like a docu-series on Netflix called okay. Deaf You*, and it focuses on people at like Gallaudet and their experience being hard-of-hearing students, and I wouldn't say that's necessarily connected too much to audiology and like the professional audiology, but it gives new perspective onto how different individuals perceive being hard-of-hearing or in the deaf community, um, and I mean, a lot of audio, all audiologists will work with hard of hearing or deaf community members. So I think that's a really good docu-series to watch. To be, to have like a relatable, um, the people in the docu-series are like 20 years old. So it's a pretty relatable age range, I'd say. And um, it's just a perspective change. And I, I would say I recommend
0: that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that's a good one to check out. Um, and the last question I have for you is, If you dislike blank, then becoming an audiologist is not for you.
1: Okay. I feel like I should know this one well because I work with a lot of people who are um, maybe interested in speech pathology more. Uh, So I would say if you don't like analyzing, then audiology might not be right for you. And I mean that in the like puzzle piece way. Like I said before, audiology is a lot about. If this, then that, Um, and really focusing on the different parts of your ear system and really figuring out what could be going wrong. If you're someone who does not enjoy deep analysis and um, anatomy and um, uh, I guess physics, you probably wouldn't enjoy audiology. But at the same time, there's so many different things you can do with audiology. But if you are interested in working with um, people who are hard of hearing or um, maybe with some developmental delays that uh, impact your speech or hearing development, then speech pathology would be really great for you. So that's that's less focusing on the analysis aspect and more about the treatment itself.
0: Right. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today and teaching Of course. Us- thank you
1: for having me.